So we're two weeks away from Easter. You know, we're getting very close. And um, this different format on Sunday morning, I'm finding very refreshing but uncomfortable. Any of you in the same boat? It's, it's this introvert, introverted looking in, just checking on how are we doing. And last week we talked a little bit about the fact that that Christ has a road for us to follow. He has a way of life that's his way of life. And it's very easy for us to get off that road. And Mark mentioned the two degrees separation uh, a number of weeks ago. And some of us, I think, we feel like maybe we're two degrees or maybe sometimes we're 40 degrees or 80 degrees off track. And we just want to be right on track with our Lord Jesus Christ. Loving him, following him in the way that he's got for us. So... This is what we're doing. This is the correct, and it's not an autocorrect. Um, this is a correct that we do as we trust the Lord and look inside and ask him, Lord, talk to me, correct me, show me where I need to change and how I need to come back to you and walk with you fully. So as we were going here this morning, I was thinking of Isaiah 61. So I'm going to just read this to you. This is the passage of scripture that Jesus quoted partway along in his ministry and he said this the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor now Jesus stopped there when he said that, to, that this is the time of God's grace and the Lord's favor announced to the world. But in Isaiah, it continues and says, and the day of vengeance of our God. There's a thought of judgment there as well, which we must not forget. But this is the day of the Lord's favor. Isn't that amazing? The grace of God extended to us. And to comfort all who mourn, he says, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, to um, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks. Oaks, we're thinking big, huge, strong, powerful trees. Oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Well, this is our prayer for every one of us. Lord, we ask as we come to look into your word today that you will do ah, the healing that's needed in our lives. Lord, that for the difficulties we have gone through this week or this year or these last years, for the struggles, for the grief. Um, Lord, we don't want to ignore those things. We bring them to you. We ask you, Lord, to do exactly what you said here, to bestow on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes in this broken world, to grant us the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Instead of a spirit of despair, a garment of praise. Lord, that we will be oaks of righteousness, 
a planting of the Lord God Almighty for the display of your splendor in our world. Lord, I think today, this weekend is the anniversary of that Humboldt bus crash. We know that the good news of Jesus was declared really boldly and strongly at that time. We pray for your ongoing help and comfort for all who've been going through their great loss over this last year. We acknowledge again, Lord, that this weekend is 25 years since the genocide in Rwanda, where so many people lost their lives in 100 days, and the grieving that was done there, and yet for many, the turning to you, Almighty God. We pray for your comfort for these dear people, and we pray for all of us here, Lord, with our own grievings and losses. We pray for our First Nations people, the indigenous people in Canada here, that in the many losses that they feel, Lord, that they will sense your comfort and your help. And we thank you so much for the many who are followers of Jesus Christ and want to honor you and serve you in all their ways. So Lord, here we are. We ask you to guide us as we look into your word today. Speak to us through the mystery of your Holy Spirit, we pray. And I ask if there's someone here today who does not know you, that this will be the morning when they trust in you and come to find your gift of eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going through a series just now called Broken and Becoming. And um, we are acknowledging the brokenness in the world and in all of us, but we've seen the brokenness in numbers of people as we've been studying the last few weeks, and Peter has played a fairly prominent role in this. Have you noticed this? Peter, the guy who always shoots his mouth off, who talks before he thinks, who just removes his foot from his mouth to put the other foot in his mouth. He's a lovely guy. We can all somehow relate to him, I think. I certainly can. So this week, it's not Peter. It's actually two of his good buds. It's um, those other two of the top three, you know, James and John. So we're going to read this in just a minute. Um, oh, one thing I forgot. Um, what do we do at Forest View Church? We help each other love better. Love God, love each other, and love God's creation. So over the last little while, uh, well, we got this email this week from Nancy... Allison, and she said this, Hello, our dear Forest View family. Losing dad, TK, Tony Kedlars, who was so close to us and to many of you at Forest View, is tough. However, through your prayers, emails, texts, visits, flowers, food, cards from our friends, we have felt the love and support and are getting through these days. We have a new understanding for the importance of being there, for friends at visitations and funerals. And thank you for the many hugs and wonderful stories we heard about Dad. We want to thank you for all this and appreciate it so much, more than our words could ever express. Thank you in advance for the continued prayers for us as we adjust to our new normal. Love to you all, Don and Nancy, Jacqueline and Jordan, Allison. You know when you love someone... You want to serve them somehow. Would, would you say this is 
basically a true statement? When you really love somebody, you want to serve them. You see this with couples as they start to go out with one another. It's like they're falling all over to try to do something for the other person, to show them how much they love and appreciate them. And it's actually kind of nice. It's kind of too bad that we lose a bit of that as we you know, get married and go on, and there's a real encouragement that we would continue this. And so uh, I was telling Ruth, I'm going to tell a little story to start off the message today, that we've been married for 47 years, 48 this year. Did I get it right? Um, And I know it's in July. It's... uh, (laughs) So I'm just saying the first 10 years... We're actually very, very tough. I don't know if that surprises you or not. You know, the big romance thing and everything, beautiful and swell. Our first 10 years were very, very difficult, and at least half of the responsibility was mine. <laughs> Probably more. And uh, because one of my issues initially was that I thought my responsibility was to help Ruth grow and mature that I should help her improve in her life. So therefore, when I saw something wrong, I was very free to speak about it and to encourage her and even give her Bible verses that would help her along the way. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, before this time, I thought the guy was smart. But, (laughs) well, I've learned a thing or two, but not very much, maybe. But I'll tell you, I have uh, discovered by the grace of God and through the Holy Scriptures that my big responsibility as a husband is to figure out what does God want to do to change me and to help me to be a better husband and a better lover and a better father and a better all of that stuff and let the Lord deal with Ruth. And uh, so... (laughs) So you have every right to ask me about those first 10 years and say, you know, so the idea of trying to change your spouse, you could ask the Dr. Phil question, so how is that working for you? (laughs) And it didn't work very well, but by God's grace, there's wisdom and truth in this book. Are you with me? There's incredible wisdom. So the idea of husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and did what? gave himself up for her. So the idea of this loving service, this is what we're talking about this morning. Jesus, it's really interesting, uh, in our passage, and we're going to look at this right away. So I'm confessing to you some of my brokenness. Are you with me on this? Is it okay for me to say that? And But the becoming part, too, God's at work. Praise God for that. So here's the passage, and it's from Matthew chapter 20. And it's uh, not Peter this time, but James and John. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, so these are the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, so the two guys are there, kneeling down, asked for a favor. What is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and one uh, at your left in the kingdom. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And he's referring to the cup of suffering. That he, He's already told them about the fact that he's going to the cross and he's going to die and so on. And they're still fighting this idea. We just want to sit with you in your big kingdom thing. 
can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Oh, we can, they answered. Sure, yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. You know what happened to John, James and John? John lived and served, but he ended up on, as an exile on an, the island of Patmos. And James, do you know what happened to James? He was one of the early martyrs. He was just slaughtered. When Herod saw that this was really going to work for him, he just killed him. And um, so they did taste from that cup. They drank from that cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. So when the ten heard about this, they were in... Does it say indignant up there? It says this in my Bible too. Why would they be indignant? I'm actually looking for an answer, so somebody might shout something out here. Why would they be indignant? Okay, arrogant, maybe they're arrogant, yes. <laughs> they probably wish they had asked first. Do you think especially Peter? Peter, hey, I'm one of the top three. You two guys are going over my head here trying to get the two right places. What is this? So they're all upset because the two big places are going to go to these guys or actually aren't, but they're asking for them. So they're really indignant just like the rest of us, right? Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And there's a very strong negative here in the Greek. The, the, the not is the first word in the sentence. Not so with you. It's strong enough that you can actually say, Jesus would be saying, never I don't want to see any of this ever among you, my people. This is not how we work in my family. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, thank the Lord for this passage of Scripture. It's beautiful. The big idea here is that God calls us to serve Him by serving others. God calls us to serve Him by serving others. So as we look at the passage, the first point, I guess, could be that great people of the world serve themselves. Um, they see leadership as greatness and power and authority and dominance and ruling and force. And um, what they would do is they would think of leadership as a triangle. If you think of a triangle and the boss, the leader, is at the top and everybody underneath the boss is there to serve the leader and the purposes of the leader. So these are all my servants. That triangle is, the, is a nice picture of this. So all of us have sort of been under this kind of thing from time to time. Sometimes, you know, very unfortunately, homes that call themselves Christians have sort of leaned in this direction where the man says, I'm the boss here. I am the head of this house, so I am the boss, and what I say goes. And so there's intimidation 
and power that's used instead of love and partnership. We've seen this sometimes with wives in the opposite, where there's instead of a partnership, there's a very dominant, domineering woman. We've seen it in churches with leaders of churches. And maybe you've seen it as, uh, uh, you know, in your workplace, where your boss gets all his tips from the book, How to Win Through Intimidation. Same kind of idea. Jesus has a different idea here. So he says that great people of God serve others. Um, And his point here is that we must be in contrast to the world. This is a strong contrastive in the text here that there must be a surprising difference between the way we lead and the way other people lead. And the strong contrastive is that it is not just a different view of leadership, it's the opposite view of leadership. So that if you were to take the triangle then, okay, it would not be like so, it would be flipped upside down. So here's your triangle like this. And the leader is the person who sees him or herself at the bottom and says, everybody who is in my charge here, I'm responsible for empowering them, in, in, in including them in decisions, in helping them to uh, be all that they can possibly be, to serve them, to bear their hurts, and to empower them to be the best they can be. Now, I want to add something here because a couple of weeks ago, Elizabeth helped us really think about the fact that we are not the Savior. Do you remember that? So sometimes this incredibly heavy feeling that we get that I'm responsible for everybody, oh, it's such a heavy thing. We're not the Savior, but we do have an influence in order to help other people become better than they can become. It's a very high calling and a lovely calling. Maybe you've heard the story of the mayor of Philadelphia. Have you heard this story before? Don't see any heads nodding. I'm going to tell you anyway. The mayor of Philadelphia was on his way home from work and with his wife, and they're driving the car. They pull in for gas, and the gas station guy comes out, and he looks right past the mayor, and he says, Sue, is that you? And she looks back and says, Joe, is that you? So she gets out of the car, and while the guy's pumping gas, the mayor is sitting in the car, and they're having this talk, talk, talk back there. They pay the bill. She jumps in the car, and they head for home. And the mayor looks at his wife and says, uh, honey, who's Joe? She said, well, you know, uh, we went to high school together, and he, he, well, he was a friend. Well, actually, he was, we kind of dated for a while. And, well, actually, in grade 12, we said, well, do you think we'd ever get married? So we kind of talked about that, but obviously we didn't. And the mayor's looking at his wife, and he gets this smirk on his face, and he says, now, honey... Just think about it. If you had married Joe, you would have been the wife of a gas station guy, not the wife of the mayor of Philadelphia. And she looked at him and she said, oh, no, honey. If I had married Joe, Joe would have been the mayor of Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) Now, a couple of things, okay. There's nothing wrong with being a gas station guy. Would you agree with me? Nothing wrong with that at all. This mayor has sort of a puffed-up ego. But the other thing is, she also has a very strong self-concept in understanding how much we can influence one another for good. For good, not for ill. And it's one of the beautiful uh, options that we have in all of our relationships to be this kind of person that helps the other person be better 
than they are. So here's the thing. Jesus says we must be in contrast to the world. This idea of really serving others is a great idea. It's fascinating to me how management has discovered this law. Do you understand? That the old idea of management was that the guy at the top made all the decisions, the man or woman made all the decisions, tells everybody what to do, and demands that they do what he says, he or she says. But now the idea of leadership and management is much more about empowering the people who we work with. You with me? This is... The discovery, what Jesus said so long ago, collaboration, teamwork, sharing and decision-making, and then taking ownership of the goals and making things happen. So Jesus goes on to describe this more, and he says, to be great, be a servant. And I like to just draw a distinction between servant and slave, because he does here. Uh, To be great, be a servant. To be first, be a slave. So he says... This in the text, a servant works on behalf of another person by choice, all right? It's not forced upon that servant. And for example, a waiter in a restaurant or a steward, a stewardess on a plane, this, a servant pursues the welfare of the other person uh, so that he or she is also benefited. Uh, and it's a voluntary thing. So when you go out for lunch today, if you go out for lunch at a restaurant and the waitress or waiter comes along and smiles a lot and uh, puts her hand on your shoulder and pats your shoulder and calls you dear and so on, maybe it's only seniors where they call us dear. But anyway, you know what they're after, right? A good tip. And by the way, um, (laughs) so I heard from a server that when you see people come in and sit down and pray before their meal, you know you're not going to get a good tip. <laughs> this should not be. Somebody said amen. <laughs> okay, it's true though, isn't it, eh? I mean, our lives, we want our lives to shine for Jesus and all things, and generosity is a part of who God calls us to be. Okay, enough of that. To be great, be a servant. To be first, be a slave. Now, a slave has lost his or her autonomy. This is a different category. A slave takes uh, the, the, the needs of, of the other person have total pre- precedence over their own needs. And this is not a voluntary thing. The needs of the other person comes first, and it comes at great personal sacrifice of the slave. Because it's like the slave doesn't think of their own needs at all. They're just always looking after the needs of the other. Now, Jesus uses this image, which I think makes us all very, very uncomfortable. Is this true? Nobody wants to be a slave of anybody. But Jesus uses this image to say, we're going to be different from the world out there. We're going to make this choice that I, because of what God has done to me and the love that he's poured into my heart and my life, I'm going to begin to have service for others as a driving thing in my life. How can I serve? How can I be a blessing to other people today? And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. For when we serve others, who are we like? We're like Jesus, the king of the universe who humbled himself and came here to be our Savior. Where do we see Jesus being like this? Well, so many times, right? But maybe particularly when we see him wash the feet 
of his disciples. The washing of feet was never done by servants. It was always done by slaves, a lower level. It was such a humbling, demeaning thing. What do we say, Jesus? The ruler of the universe, creator of all things. He gets down on his knees, rips some of his clothes off, gets down on his knees, and starts to wash the dirty feet of his disciples who've been chasing him around all day. The role of a slave. And he does it willingly. And we see him doing this with so many other people throughout his his lifetime of service, right? I think of the woman who had the issue of blood, if you know that story. So she's bleeding, and they haven't been able to stop this for years. She wasn't supposed to be in public company like this, but she was. People would call her unclean and drive her away. But here she is. She comes, and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And you know what happens? She's healed. Jesus feels the power go out of him. And you know what he does? He lifts her up. Everybody else in society is pushing her down and away, and Jesus lifts her up. What a, what a beautiful servant. What a beautiful picture of our God. And when you think of Jesus on the cross, I mean, this posture is not just the picture of being nailed to a cross. This posture is the posture of the living God of the universe who says, come unto me, all all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This is the heart of God. It's quite amazing, the servant, the sacrificial servant heart of God who's ready to serve all who will come. What a marvelous Savior we have, don't we? What a marvelous Savior. So we're like Jesus then. When we begin to serve in sacrificial ways, We do this, and that text of Scripture says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we have someone here today named Ransom. (laughs) There's a little guy about the fifth row from the back there. His name is Ransom. And the point is, yeah, there he is. His dad's just holding him up. Thank you. And the the idea of the name was that um, a ransom is a price that's paid to redeem or free someone who's caught, say, in slavery. Did you know that this week there was a tourist who was captured over in Africa, and they're demanding a ransom? Ransom is a payment that's made to set somebody free, somebody of value, So when Jesus comes to pay the ransom for many, when you look at the text of the scripture, it's that this one solitary life and death of Jesus could be sufficient for the ransom of many. It's an incredible, incredible picture of what Jesus did on the cross. An amazing thing. And that's what he is saying here. So... um, why would we not why would we not do this what could stop us from serving well a couple of things one real fast is time i don't have the time for this kind of stuff i'm so busy with everything else i don't have the time this is not meant to be something that we add to the events of the day this is meant to be something that per- permeates everything we already do and changes our attitude in all of the stuff that we already do does that make sense 
We don't have to make extra time to do this. We just need to ask the Lord to help us to, to do this in all of the stuff that we already do, our service in our home, our service at work, etc., etc. Um, the other thing is probably fear, where we say, you know what, if I start to serve this way, I'm going to get trampled on, I'm going to get stepped on. Uh, people are going to take advantage of me. If I humble myself and go so low, I'm just going to get stepped on. Now, I don't know what you'd say to that, but I would say, sure, it's possible. Jesus was, wasn't he? And that's part of the price that we pay in humbling ourselves to serve others. Now, I have to throw in a caveat here really quickly, and that is that if you are in a dangerous relationship, you need help. And sometimes people stay in a dangerous relationship too long saying, oh, I'm just going to serve and serve and serve and serve and humble. If you're in a dangerous relationship, you need help. You should call the church. You should ask for intervention of some sort or other because the Lord wants to help you with that too. Hope that's okay for me to say. So, what's the application then? And this is where we need to wind down. Application, I've got a few here. If you're a single person, think of your friendships. How can you serve the needs of somebody else that you work with or live with or whatever it happens to be? How can you at college or university or at work or in your family meet the needs of other people and be like Jesus in that situation? If you're married... Men, do you want to know how to be a better husband? Try to outserve your wife. You think that'd work? Is there anybody here who'd like to like say, nah, that's never <laughs> gonna work? Um, it's not a bad idea for us to have that servant heart in a sacrificial way. Actually, it's not bad for a wife to try that towards her husband as well. For children, young people, for those who are still living with their parents, what would happen if you took this attitude of saying, how can I serve? How can I help? Instead of, of what can you do for me? <laughs> Doesn't that sort of like radically change some of the stuff that we do? I know it's already happening in many homes. May it continue. Um, you know, when we, when we love and serve one another like this, it's like oil in the gears of the relationships. It just makes everything goes go more smoothly. Um, I, I listened to CBC Radio a bit, and uh, some time ago I heard this thing that men who serve at home, there's a quote, men who serve at home have a better physical sexual relationship with their wife. Because serving is like oil in the gears of the relationship just makes things go better. Is it okay to talk about sex in church? I hope you don't think I'm minimizing this at all or, or somehow making this improper. But here's the beauty, that as we serve, there's a demonstration of love which lifts the whole level of relationships up higher and is a blessing to everybody concerned. I think this makes sense. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. 
This is also a key to our working relationships, all right? That at work, there are always some people who say, how can I get out of work? And there are other people who say, how well can I do this job? And of course, Scripture tells us, Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. So for us to go to work and say, Lord, how do I serve you today and serve the people here as I do this job today? It's a powerful thing. And um, this is also a key to our relationship with people who don't know Christ yet. That serving is like a door to um, relationship into which people can step and begin to discover Christ. It's the old adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so it's a beautiful thing that we just have this heart of service in all that we do to love and to serve the people in our world uh, for the sake of Christ and uh, opening up opportunities for us to actually share our faith uh, initially. Oh, yeah. I have this book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism, and um, it's about... So I'm wearing green today. So I don't expect you to remember that this is the, the green Sunday, but anyway, uh, St. Patrick, and I know it's not St. Patty's Day. That was a couple of weeks ago. St. Patrick was stolen as a kid. Did you know that? From England, he was stolen. He was over as a slave in Ireland. He managed to escape, and he got back to England, and he trained to be a priest, a pastor. And then he came back to Ireland to evangelize, to bring Jesus to the people there. And when he came back, his method of operating was he came with a group, and the group set up outside a town or right beside a town, and their goal was, how do we serve the people of this town well? And they, they, they would help them with all kinds of things, serving them. And then people would say, what are you doing this for? I said, well, you know what? We've been forgiven all of our sins. And Jesus has made a difference in our life and given us a fresh love. And so we just want to serve you in Jesus' name. And there was a revival that started in Ireland. Interesting, eh? How service and loving others in this way, sacrificial service, is like a door that opens up the, the way into showing the love and the truth of Christ with other people. Well, it's also something that's really important here in the church that for us to serve and love each other in sacrificial ways just shows the love of Christ in a, in a place like this. So I want to leave you with a challenge. And the challenge is this. Would you think about two people in your world who you could bless this week over the next seven days? Um at least one a Christian and one a non-Christian. And just serve and love and see what happens, how God leads you in this way. Generosity, hospitality. I have a good friend who's from Eritrea originally, Eritrea, Ethiopia. And when he came to Canada, he was sacrificially serving other people. And he was invited finally to... Uh, a pastor's house uh, for a meal with his family. And afterwards, after they ate the meal, he said, I have never, I have never had hospitality in a white person's house before. And he'd been here for years. How are we doing at service to other people who we don't know very well? Hospitality and generosity. 
So the first challenge is to think of two people this week. And the second thing is to evaluate your service at Forest View Church. I know many of us are busy with many things and out in the community, and those things are really so important. But for some of us, God has given us gifts to be used as a blessing within the church. And would you think about just where you are as part of this Lenten preparation for Easter? Would you think about what are the gifts and abilities God has given you, and how could you use those to be a blessing here at Forest View Church? Now, I think I've said finally twice, but this is my last finally, all right? There is a potential here for misunderstanding. And the potential for misunderstanding is to say, do you know what, if I just, so then if I go and serve people and just be the best I can be, is this, this is what God wants for me, and that's all there is to it. Just be better and do better and all that kind of stuff. And that is the potential misunderstanding. So, um, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 really helps us with this. That what God is looking for, first of all, is this response of faith to what he's done for us. To believe in him and to begin to follow him. So here we are, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, lest anybody should boast. We're not saved by our works and the things we do and the good gifts of service that we give to other people. But by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ. And then, but it doesn't stop there, right? Look at the next verse. For we are God's handiwork, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So if you've never trusted Christ before and believed in him and invited him into your life to make you one of his kids, this would be a lovely morning to do that, just to simply pray and invite the Lord into your life. And if you have done this before, um, this would be a great time to say, Lord, how do you, what are the works that you've prepared for me to do today? And how do I serve and bless other people today? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the, the wisdom of God displayed in Jesus here that the best way to live is not to make demands on other people like a big boss, hard-nosed guy, but to, Lord, be the servant heart to serve and empower, to love other people, to help them to be the best they can be. Would you help us this week to be full of this with those we meet, to at least two people uh, to bless them in great ways, intentional acts of kindness or blessing. And Lord, would you help us also to walk with you in a fresh and new way. You have ransomed us. You've brought us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we want to honor you and serve you in all that we do. Help us, Lord, we pray. We give you thanks. We give you praise. And we love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.